Who do you say Jesus was? I have no idea. Who was Jesus? Gosh, I have to start with, I'm not sure. Who was Jesus to you? Some guy. Actually, I don't believe in Jesus. Not really sure exactly who Jesus was. I think Jesus was, uh, was a, was kind of a cool guy back in his day. Who was Jesus to you? <laughs> I think I'm done. I don't like to talk about it. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. Who do you think Jesus was, or is? Uh, Jesus was a historical figure. I believe that Jesus Christ was the man who had an extraordinary ability to link in with the Creator. I think he was uh, definitely someone that people, you know, a good role model. I, I do think he had a lot of great ideas. More or less, he was just a prophet, which is just a messenger of God. Sort of a revolutionary in his day. Jesus was an amazing man. I don't believe he's God's son. I just believe he's a person. As to his, like, godlike quality, I'm not totally sold on that. You think he was a prophet? That would, see, I'd have to be Christian to really believe that. Jesus was the Messiah for some people, and for some people he wasn't. I'm not necessarily sure if Jesus was the Messiah or a prophet, but in either case, he was somebody that spoke the word of God. He was equal portions of, of human and... Uh, and that energy that is God. People said he was sent by God. Well, no one, God doesn't send him down. You don't go on up. <laughs> I mean, you, he linked in. I mean, I do believe in Jesus in the sense of like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That I'm, I'm not saying that he, he didn't exist or anything of the sort, but the fact that, um, I mean, I necessarily don't go and uh, pray to Jesus. Who was Jesus? Uh, Jesus is some God. The Jesus story sort of borders on history and myth for me. Um, but I don't believe that it could have permeated our culture so fully and for so long if there was nothing to that. Well, she's closer than the rest of them because he may be a little more than history and myth. In our world today, it's a great deal of confusion about who Jesus was. Somehow we have come to the conclusion as modern Americans that we get to decide who he was. How many know he is who he is? We'll either respond to him as the way he's revealed himself or we choose not to. You know, in America today, there is a hostility towards Christianity that is pretty new in my lifetime. And just this week, there was a student in a university on the East Coast, and in an intercultural communications class, the teacher had him write down the name Jesus on a sheet of paper and then put it on the ground, and they were supposed to step on it. Well, I'm not quite sure what the purpose was, but he said, that offends me that you would do that because I have a great respect for the Lord. So in America today, it's kind of across the board who people believe that Jesus was. But I'm going to suggest to you that rather than just talking to our friends or rather than just uh, uh, looking you know, like the guys on the video trying to figure it out ourselves, I suggest we go to one of his contemporaries, somebody that knew him, somebody that walked with him. A person that I'm going to use this morning is John the Baptist, someone that was born in the same period of time that he was, the guy that baptized him, the guy that saw literally, as history records, the heaven open, uh, that heard the voice of God speak that this is my beloved son. But they were asked the question in the video, who is Jesus? And John the Baptist had an answer for that. John 1, 29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, and I want you to say this with me, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now think about that. Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the Lamb of God, that was not a way of saying that Jesus is kind of furry and Jesus is kind of cute, but it was a, a depiction. It was a picture of theologically, of in the eyes of God, who Christ was, because he didn't just say he was a lamb or like a lamb. He said he was the Lamb of God. And we're going to explore what that means this morning and why it's so significant, but it is the next phrase that must be an attention grabber that takes away the sin of the world. And for someone to make that statement about another person, that deserves that we give attention to it because it is our sin. How many know it was the sin of Adam and Eve that got us in a mess in the first place? And it's our sin that will be judged on Judgment Day, according to the Bible. So let's take a peek at it this, uh, this morning. We're going to answer that question, who is Jesus and what does this Lamb of God mean? But this week in Christian history it is arguably the most important week in the history of the world. It is what's called the Passion Week of Christ. I'd suggest to you maybe this week picking up a copy of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ to somehow identify with what Jesus went through some 2,000 years ago. But if we were to go back 2,000 years, this day, Sunday, it was called Palm Sunday. As Jesus came into town riding on a donkey in a very humble fashion, people were crying, Hosanna. Hosanna was an expression of praise to God. Uh, the rest of the early part of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, early Thursday, Jesus spent with His disciples. Most of the Gospel of John records this last week of Christ's life. But then on Thursday, things began to shift. It was Thursday evening that Jesus had the, uh, the Passover meal with His disciples in the upper room. Uh, it was Thursday after that meal that Judas Iscariot went out to betray Jesus Christ for a handful of silver. After he betrayed him, Jesus, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying for God's grace to go forwards with what was going to happen. The Roman soldiers came, and when the Roman soldiers came, all the disciples ran away. Jesus was arrested. Jesus was taken. He spent the night, I would imagine, in a, in a cell that didn't have a nice bed to sleep in. He probably didn't sleep that night. And when you wake up Friday morning... Friday morning is typically called Good Friday. I want you to think about what Jesus went through that day. Likely they got him out of this cell early in the morning. He went through a mock trial. The Roman soldiers began to, remember they put the crown of thorns on his head and they made fun of him and they hit him and they beat him. Jesus was beaten into it through an inch of his life after a mock trial. And then sometimes before 9 o'clock he took that pathway. He walked up to the hill, Golgotha, and he literally at 9 o'clock in the morning when most of us are getting at work, I would suggest maybe this Friday morning when you're, before you get out of the car, pause just a moment to think that it was Friday morning about 9 o'clock that Jesus was literally lifted on a tree that he was nailed to a cross. 9 in the morning, Jesus was on the cross for six hours. At 12 o'clock on this Friday, when you go to lunch, you might think of the fact that in Jesus' day on that Good Friday, that the, 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 the sun literally ceased to shine its light. It was darkness over the face of the land from 12 to 3. And at 3 o'clock, Jesus said these words, It is finished. He willingly gave up his life, and then he died. And that day is called Good Friday. A great paradox. What in the world was good about Good Friday? Uh, Good Friday, likely the, 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 the word uh, years ago meant God's Friday, but over time as words changed, it morphed into Good Friday. But we're going to kind of explore those questions side by side this morning. What does it mean that Jesus was the Lamb of God? Why does it matter to me, and, and what's so good about Good Friday? So I've entitled the morning's message, Good Friday, with a big question mark. So let's kind of get into it this morning. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter two fifteen. if you want to go with me. This morning will be a very much of a foundational message for you. 
Oftentimes, I'll take a topic of, uh, that you can just put into practice on Monday, something that affects your life, very uh, relevant. But this morning's message will be a foundational message that, 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 that will tell you why it is not only logical to believe the Bible, the Christian faith is, is, is not only one of many faiths that we can choose from, but this morning we'll build a foundation to help us understand why Christianity is the exclusive way to heaven. It's very unpopular in today's politically correct thought. There's many ways up the mountain. Everybody gets to decide, but not according to Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am, say it with me, the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man comes to the Father or goes to heaven, is restored to God, but by me. And it's that key phrase, but by me, that we're going to explore why Jesus was different than all the other religions of the world. And hopefully this will build a good solid foundation for you to stand in your Christian faith. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to go. And uh, I hope, uh, I just want to say welcome this morning and thrill that you're here. It's a special day for me because my baby turns 21 today. Bethany, come on, wave at everybody today. 21. Anyway, Genesis chapter 2. Let's look in the Bible together and let's first ask the question, how did we get into this mess? Why was the cross necessary? Because the Bible will, will, will tell us that the cross was not just an accident, it was not an afterthought, but it was necessary, it was in the mind and the plan of God before it ever happened. It was not some arbitrary thing, but it was the unfolding plan of God's salvation. Genesis 2.15, we, we have a little brief history lesson about why we have problems in life, why there's pain, why there's death, why there's heartache. Verse 15, the Lord God placed the man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in the garden. Verse 16, the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice what it says. If you eat its fruit, say it with me, you are you're sure to die. Now, we've got every kind of tree there is, apple trees, pomegranate trees, bananas, I mean, everything in the world, uh, they likely just continued to bear all, all the time. He could eat whatever he wanted to eat, but there was one tree. It was not surrounded by barbed wire. It didn't have, it didn't have sensors on it that would go off if he touched it, but it sat in the garden, one tree. All others were available, but one, God said, I give you a commandment, and you need to stay on my side of the fence in this case. There's uh, Anissa brings her little kid. She's a, she's a foster mom. She brings them on Saturday night. And this one little baby has just been crawling pretty much most of her life, but she just started to walk. And uh, she sits on the front row, and the kids are a little interactive in worship. And she would crawl up to this step for some reason over, the, over the, probably the last few months. But when she started to walk, she kind of walks up to this little step. She's about this tall. She walks up this little step, and then she gets this big grin on her face and turns back and looks at mom. Because she knows she's not supposed to go. And for a while, she would turn and walk right back. But a couple Sundays ago, she looked at mom, she looked at the step, and then she went. And when she stepped up, she looked back with this little grin on her face. Now, how many know you didn't have to teach that baby to do that? There's just something in all of our hearts, and this is the volition of the will. It's our choice. Mom representing authority, parental authority, ultimate to God's authority. How many know you've got parental authority, civil authority, church authority, but ultimately the authority of God? And what Adam and Eve did, they violated God's commandment. They did what God said not to do, and then literally all the trouble and pain came to the earth. It's as if Satan was standing on top of the stairs saying, it's going to be really good if you come up here. But when they stepped across that line, the world fell apart for Adam and Eve. 
And all the pain that we know in life, we inherited because of that tragic mistake. It is something that you share with every human being on the planet. The source of pain comes when sin came into the world. And sin came because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. But I want you to look further with me. Because God, though, when, and when He said that they were going to die, it was not only a physical death. One day they would die a physical death, but the Scripture was very clear. When you eat its fruit, you're going to die. And that word death has two meanings to it. Not just physical death, but a separation from God. And that's exactly what happened. When they ate of that fruit, there was a barrier between God and man. Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the cool of the day. Everything was great. They lived in the Garden of Eden. But because of this, they were driven not only from the garden, but from the presence of God. And notice what God did when they messed up because the merciful God responded this way. In Genesis 3.21, the Lord made clothing from animal skins. Very significant for Adam and his wife. And then verse 23, they're banished from the Garden of Eden. But I want you to see there is an act of mercy. Now, when God clothed them, it was not just from the elements and from the stickers and mosquitoes and those kind of things. It was a spiritual covering for sin. This is very important. And how many know God could have used moss and He could have weaved the moss together and made clothing for them, made a nice tunic. He could have used leaves and uh, He could have, you know, used some clay and could have glued the leaves together, but He didn't do that. He chose animal skins. And how many know He didn't buy them from Kmart? He didn't look in the paper to see when the sale at Dillard's was. No. An animal skin, literally an animal, an innocent animal gave its life. An animal that had done nothing wrong became a substitute for the sin of Adam and Eve. Because the Bible says in the book of Romans that the wages or the outcome of sin is, is death. It is a separation from God. But God provides a covering. God provides a, a substitute that begins to give us some insight into why Christ went to that cross. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Indeed, under the law, the law of Moses, almost everything is purified with blood. Now, we're talking about sin. It's very graphic. But the depiction in the Bible is that blood, though our sins is scarlet, God makes them as white as snow. And it goes on to say that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is important because if there's no forgiveness, there continues to be separation. And if there's separation, there will be ultimate judgment, which will be eternal separation from God. So forgiveness is essential for our sins. And the Bible is very clear that the way that we deal with sin, that God chooses to deal with sin. I mean, if you noticed on the video, there was almost a sense of, of arrogance among many of the people that it's like, I get to decide if he was the Messiah or not. I get to decide if this is the right way or the wrong way. You know what? That choice is not in our hands. We simply choose to respond and embrace or to reject God, the Christ that God offered us. But without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And the spiritual principle in this passage is simply this. Sin has horrible consequences. Sin separates us from God, which is a judgment in our life. But God, the merciful God, provides a covering for our sin. He provides a way to bridge the gap. And it is through the substitution or the sacrifice of, in this case, the innocent animal for Adam and Eve. Now, we go forwards, Exodus chapter 12, to the Passover. And we're asking you the question this morning, what does it mean that Jesus was the Lamb of God? We hearken back to the Garden of Eden, but now in the Passover, uh, we're going to look at the Passover as a picture or a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. 
In Adam and Eve's day, it started out with just the two, but now we are probably thousands of years ahead of Adam and Eve. Moses is leading the children of Israel. The Israelites themselves number a million and a half, two million Israelites. You remember the history of man? We started out, of course, after Adam and the lineage and Noah and all these things. Ultimately, Abraham comes on the scene, the father of faith. We've got his son Isaac. We've got Jacob. We've got the 12 tribes of Israel. And you remember under Joseph, they go to Egypt. 400 years before the Passover. They go as great heroes at that time, but in Moses' day, these children of Israel are in bondage. They're the slaves. They're the one that built Pharaoh's, you know, the temples and built the pyramids and all these type things. So they're slaves in a place of bondage, but God wants to take them to the promised land. And the promised land here is a picture for us. We have a promised land. It's called heaven. It's, God, it's the place that God has prepared for us. And basically, this paradigm of Old Testament deliverance, where God is literally through Moses saying, let my people go. I want to take them out of bondage and take them into freedom. And what he does is God, through Moses, sends plagues on the Egyptian people. Ten plagues. And I mean, we've got lice comes on the land. There's frogs. The Nile turns to blood. And basically, Pharaoh says, you're not going anywhere. You're here for my servants. But then the last plague is about to come. It was called the death of the firstborn, where God warned him, warned Pharaoh, that there's going to be a death angel. Now listen, a judgment that will come over the land, and there's only one way to be safe in the judgment. Look at just Exodus 12, 21. Moses told them, kill the lamb for the Passover. Now, what you think about this, we're seeing in the, the Scripture, in the Old Testament history, interesting how we tend to throw out the history. We'll believe Shakespeare was true, that uh, Julius Caesar and all that he did were true, the annals of war. Uh, you know, we'll believe that uh, uh, you know, all the greats of the past, those things that you learn in Western civilization history class, they're true. But sometimes modern man wants to just throw away all the history of the Bible. We want to throw away the world history through the lens of the Bible. Well, in this particular case, we're looking at a lamb being killed for Passover. In the Jewish, uh, under Moses, you'll find that there's a whole unfolding of how sin is cared for, and it always has to do with the death of an innocent animal. Now listen, verse 22, after they killed this lamb, they were to take a branch of the hyssop plant. In other words, if you can imagine that you get uh, any kind of weeds or whatever you'd imagine in your mind, but particularly it was a hyssop plant. They killed the lamb. They took this plant. They put it in the lamb's blood. Notice what they did with it. They were to wipe the blood on the sides, uh, the sides and the top of the door frame. Imagine going to the front door of your home. You dip this plant in the blood of this lamb that was just sacrificed. A very brutal death because how many know sin is brutal? A very brutal, and you take that blood, and some believe that they literally put it on the sides like this and the top like that, even in the symbol of a cross. But whatever it was, the key thing is that blood was on the doorpost. And notice what happened, verse 23, when judgment was coming. When the Lord goes through Egypt to kill the Egyptians, he will what? See the blood, and he will pass over the house. He'll see the blood. He will not let the one who brings death or judgment come into your house and kill you. This is hugely significant because this is a picture of the Passover, judgment passing over when God sees the blood on the doorpost of the home. Verse 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now listen, judgment was avoided at Passover because there was an acceptable sacrifice. Now the question you must ask today is why was blood so significant? Why must a life, an innocent life, be given for the trespasses or the sins of another? Leviticus 17, 11 is very clear. 
It says, for the life of the flesh is the life of the flesh is in the blood. So whenever that animal would give its life, it's like a substitution is happening. Life for life. And I have given it to you on the altar. Now listen to this. To make atonement for your soul. Your soul is eternal. You had a beginning when you were conceived. But from that point forward, you are live eternally. To make a sacrifice or an atonement for your soul. It goes on to say, for the blood makes atonement by the life. The blood makes atonement by the life. Now, the word atone means to give satisfaction for the wrong that was done. To right the wrong. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine you and your son love to fish. Your son is 16, and you find a good-hearted farmer, and he says, yeah, you can fish on my place. Big lake, you've passed it, you know, for many, many years, by the side of the road, 10-acre lake, and you know there's got to be big fish out there. But the farmer's told you very, very seriously, he says, you've got to keep the gate closed because my cows are out here. And that's my livelihood. And I've got this big prize bull that I raised. And I paid a lot of money for that bull when it was little and it's grown up and it sires all these cows. And I make this tons of money when I, I sell them, not just for food, but I sell them as breeding stock. So be careful and always keep my gate shut. And it gives him a key to the gate. Well, one day, of course, the son wants to go fishing. Dad can't go. And son goes in and, you know, he's talking on his phone, text messaging. And guess what he forgets to do? Yeah, shut the gate. So he's out fishing, and he catches him some fish, and he's coming home real excited. But as he gets to the gate, he realizes, oh, gosh, what have I done? I left the gate open. And he sees cows all over the hillside that have run out. But the thing that shocks him the most is the bull is dead by the side of the road. It was in the curve of a road, and a car was coming 50, 60 miles an hour. Smack that bull. The ambulance is there. He's scared because the farmer's truck drives up. He calls his daddy on the telephone and said, Dad, Dad, please come down here. I've done something terribly wrong. This, the, the, the farmer's prize bull has killed the cow. I'm scared he's going to send me to jail. The sheriff pulls up. So Daddy comes up and he comes to the farmer. And the farmer is fuming angry. He's mad. He's already thought about all the money he's going to lose. His prize bull is dead on the ground. And his dad says, What can I do to make this right? What can I do to atone for the loss of your bull? The farmer's angry. He wants to put this kid in jail because that's what the kid's crime deserved. Come on, was that the sheriff would take him to jail. And the dad begins to plead, there's got to be something I can do to satisfy your wrath. There's got to be something I can do to substitute for the bull that was killed. There's got to be a way I can make atonement. The farmer says there's one way, and he goes to the truck. He pulls out a copy of the Farmer's Breeders Magazine for the Cattlemen's Association, and he points to a prize bull, and he says, this is the one that will appease my wrath. This is the one that will satisfy the debt. This is the one that will replace that which was lost. And it costs forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And, of course, the dad knows that this could bankrupt him. This is a huge deal, but it's the only way that he can get his son out of the mess that he's in, and dad will find a way. And can I tell you, God paid the price for our sins. God atoned for our sins through the blood of Christ. It is this that makes the Christian religion different than any other on the planet. It is for this reason why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Listen, the teachings of Buddha may be good, words of Confucius, some New Age thoughts may make you happy and smile when you're meditating, but I'm telling you, they don't pay for sin the way the farmer demands the bull be atoned for. There's only one way to pay, and that is through the blood of Christ. Let's keep looking now. See, it was the blood of the innocent lamb, and Israel celebrated the Passover year after year. Guess what day Jesus was crucified on? The Passover. 
the Jewish Passover, when the high priest, literally, when he would sacrifice the Passover the lamb, so judgment would fall over. But they did that year after year after year after year. But in Christ, it's done away with. In Christ, it's not necessary anymore. Hence, when John the Baptist introduced Jesus, what did he say? He said, Behold the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Let me give you another picture. Of course, in the Old Testament, this word Passover, there's another word. It's Well, I'll tell you in a moment. It's the word atonement. Let's keep reading. Christ's death on the cross is what paid the penalty for our sin and restored us to God. Let me talk about atonement just a moment. I want you to imagine the Old Testament church with Moses. After, the, after Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, and all the laws you see recorded in Leviticus and, and all of the teachings of Moses, God's laws were recorded. Well, God told them exactly how to make the church or the tabernacle in the wilderness. And here's what they did. They made a, made a portable building. Imagine it's the size of this sanctuary. And it's divided in two parts on the inside. You've got the holy place, which where only the priests could go and minister is where you are. And then there was a curtain across the stage. And back here where I am now, nobody went back there except the high priest with once a year. The only thing that was back there is what was called the Ark of the Covenant. Remember Indiana Jones? little ark there, the golden case. Well, lo and behold, on top of that ark was what was called the mercy seat. And there were two cherubim or angels that were there. Well, guess what? The high priest could only go one year on the Day of Atonement. There was a day, it's in September, the Day of Atonement for the Jewish people. And on that period of time, the high priest would go and he would take the blood of an animal. Now, when, when, when they would sacrifice an animal, one of the things that would happen is they would place their hand on the animal and there would be a spiritual transference of sin. They would confess their sins, what they had done wrong. How many know it's sin that separates us from God? It's sin that drove Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. It's sin that brings judgment. And the acknowledgement when the high priest, the representative of God, would place his hands on that animal's head and impart the sins to that animal, they would kill it. They would take its blood because there's life in the blood. He would go through the curtain. He would come to the most holy place and he would put the blood on the mercy seat. And he would do that once a year. Every year they would come back. I'm going to tell you in a minute what happened when Jesus was crucified. But that was the day of atonement where their sins would be covered. And this happened year after year after year after year. Now let's look at Christ's death itself. Luke chapter 18. Christ in the cross. Verse, eight, uh, verse 31. Jesus took the twelve disciples and he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Pause just a minute. Everything that was written about the Son of Man, that is, all the prophecies, five, six, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus came, prophets predicted things about Jesus Christ. Now notice what it says. He is the Son of Man. And both Son and Man are capitalized in your Bible. Son, reflecting to the fact, why would you capitalize Son? Because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a name of divinity, Jesus the Son of God. The Son of Man, man is His humanity. So somehow Jesus was both fully human and fully man. I cannot explain it to you, but He was literally the one and only God-man. Because how many know it's not just any sacrifice that will do. You can't shed blood for your children and pay for their sin like the guy paid for the bull. You understand? But Jesus met God's requirement because He was a perfect sacrifice. Well, the Scripture goes on. He said, he's going to be mocked, shamefully treated, spit on. They're going to flog him, and then they're going to kill him. 
But on the third day, he's going to rise. Now, you remember what we said earlier when we said uh, these Old Testament prophecies, five, six, seven hundred years before he was born. Listen to what was fulfilled when Jesus was on the cross. Listen to just some of the things that were said. The psalmist said, predicted he would be betrayed by a friend. And Zechariah, the prophet, said this friend would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And who was that? It was Judas. Isaiah, the prophet, predicted he'd be beaten, but yet he would be silent before his accusers. He wouldn't answer them back. He did not. The psalmist again predicted his hands and his feet would be pierced. Isaiah said he would be crucified with thieves, two, one on the left and one on the right. Psalm 22, when it was written, crucifixion was not a form of punishment, but yet it predicted and described crucifixion to the T. Zechariah said that they would pierce his side, which they did with a spear. It was uncommon because he was already dead. And the psalmist said he would have no broken bones, and soldiers would cast lot for his garment. He said, oh, okay, you kind of bored me on that one. What does all that mean? Okay, think just a second. 1492. Okay, I want you to imagine if Columbus gets off the ship, bang, West Indies, wherever he is. Columbus gets off the ship, and he says, hark. I see a vision. There is a place in the Arklatex called Texarkana, USA. One day I see that there will be a building made of something other than sticks. And this building will even have something furry on the floor. They will arrive at this building in something with round objects. And there's no horse attached. There's no bridle. There's no reins. Many have pulled up to the Something, gas, whatever that is. They pull up to it and they put a snake in it, this vehicle, and, and liquid goes in it. And it makes it go for three or 400 miles. And if you have a Prius like my wife does now, it'll go about 450 miles. But anyway, if you have your old truck, it might go 150. But anyway, it goes a ways and they arrive at a building. Now, mind you now, Columbus, how odd this would be. They go to a building and they see things and they don't light a candle. And somehow a man is able to speak and be just as loud in the back as he is in the front. And they put things on a wall, whatever a wall is, but they put things on a wall and they can see images that could come from hundreds or thousands of miles away. And they ate something between service called a doughnut. And some ate even two doughnuts. Now you say, how in the world could Columbus come up with that? He couldn't. But just as ludicrous as that is, I want you to think about the reality, the historical veracity of what was spoken by prophets five, six, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus Christ was on the cross and God knew it in advance and God talked about it. Now listen, that should get your attention. That should make you think that this must be different. On the cross, Jesus said some amazing things. Jesus said while he hung on the cross these six hours, to those who crucified them, he forgave them. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I imagine he would he thought the same thing when we looked at that video of all the people that were kind of besmirching his name. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There was a criminal on the cross next to him who believed in him. And Jesus promised him eternal life when he said, Today... You'll be with me in paradise. Sin on the cross was so serious that God the Father turned His back on Jesus because Jesus was literally bearing the judgment for our sin. 
Jesus was the Lamb of God. Come on, taking the sin of the world and sin. Listen, a holy God cannot coexist with sin. That's why there was a curtain that separated a holy God from the people. Come on, that's why they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Because God can't dwell with sin. That's why when you follow Jesus, you turn your back, you repent of your sinful ways and begin to follow Him. But sin was so serious that Jesus said, uh, predicted in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? Why have you forsaken me? But when, one of the last things, or the last thing Jesus said, He said, it is finished. And then he gave up the spirit. They didn't kill him. He willingly died. Now, think about this just a second. Jesus said it is finished. And imagine now this curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The Bible says when he said it is finished, there was a great earthquake, but this curtain was torn in half from the top to the bottom. God himself dispatched an angel and they tore that curtain where sin had separated man from God. God said the veil is, to is, 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 is no longer. You can have access to God through the blood of Christ the Son. The Lamb of God that was shed before the foundation of the world has made a way of escape. So Adam and Eve were covered by the animal sins. The Passover protected them from judgment. Now God says you can have access into my very presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, friends, that's why Christianity is different than any other religion in the world. Come on. That's why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, if you want to walk with the Muslims, you can go to Muhammad's tomb and celebrate the fact they know where that guy's placed in the ground. But guess what? You can go to Jesus' tomb, and it's an empty one, buddy. Jesus is different. He is not the same. Well, what happened on this cross? What happened? Well, first of all, forgiveness was offered to mankind. How many know you're not forgiven, though, until you ask for it? How many know you can reject the animal skin? But forgiveness means that God no longer holds your sins against you. And it is the sin that separates you from God. It is the sin that brings judgment in your life. Just like the boy left the gate open and incurred the wrath of the farmer. Listen, if you look in the paper and somebody's wearing an orange jumpsuit, it's because they broke some law. Come on. And they're awaiting judgment. Forgiven, forgiveness takes away judgment. So when you stand before God on judgment day, and you will, and billions of people will be there, and God will look at you, and when He calls your name, He'll say, and the devil would try to accuse you of your sin which separates. It's the blood of Jesus that covers us, because though our sins be as scarlet, He makes them as white as snow. The cross offers forgiveness. The cross offers redemption. Think pawn shop with me a moment. You need some money for your kid's graduation, so you take your silver, you go to the pawn shop, and, and you give that silver to them. They give you a, a receipt and a little bit of money. But then it comes the time, see your wife didn't know you did that with the silver, and Thanksgiving is coming up and she wants the silver, so she said, I've got to redeem it. And if I, and all he wants, he wants the money, 500, but he wants interest. And when you go, how many know Satan is the one that's holding the human race in bondage? Adam and Eve gave him control of the human race. Jesus redeemed us and bought us back. Jesus paid the price, the 500 and whatever interest was there. And Jesus said, I'll take them back. I'll redeem them. They belong to me. You see, on the cross, Jesus reconciled us to God. That is, what was separated in the Garden of Eden when they were driven away, Christ has brought us near and even offers us the privilege to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. 
There's a theological term called justification. Justification means that God declares me righteous. God is a holy God and He cannot live with sin. And the only way I can come into His presence if I am somehow made righteous because I can't work my way into heaven. Come on. You can hand out as many watchtowers as you like. You can give away as much money as you like. But you cannot earn salvation. The Bible says you're saved by... Grace through faith, it's a, it's a gift of God, lest nobody can boast. So, my friends, God offers to freely declare you righteous. If you will do as the thief on the cross did and look to Him and express your belief in Him and ask for and receive His forgiveness, come on, and He will f- remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. Give Him a big hand today. That's why Christianity is different Let me read you, Peter. If you want a verse that really just summarizes all this, why Good Friday is good, 1 Peter 1.18. Listen, God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not with gold or silver. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. If you want something to take home with this message, listen, remember that verse. I was redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're told in 1 Corinthians that that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. But to us who believe, come on, it is the power of God. And that's why Good Friday is good. Hey, in just a minute, we're going to close. We're going to receive communion together. The reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But I want to go back to, for just a moment, what we mentioned earlier, or the question we asked, who is Jesus? And I want you to ask that question and answer it now. Who who is Jesus? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to go with the crowd that was on that video. And stay with me now. I'm going to go with John the Baptist. I believe that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's because of what Christ did that Good Friday is good. Now let's get personal just a second. And let me ask you this question. Do you need to receive God's forgiveness today? Do you need to express your belief and faith in Jesus Christ? I'd like to give you that opportunity. And all I am is a mouthpiece. It's not an invitation to join a church. But this is an opportunity for you to pause and ask this question. Has the blood of Christ washed my sins away? See, the Bible says, To as many as received Him, to those He gave the right, the privilege, to become sons and daughters of God, to those that would believe in His name. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you're a bit like the thief on the cross. And remember, there was two of them when Jesus was crucified. One of them was basically there, near death. They were about to break His legs. And when they broke your legs, you, you couldn't... See, there was, you pushed yourself up through your feet, with a nail in your foot. Imagine how painful that was. Just to gasp air. And you fall back down and you have to push yourself up again. It was a horrible death. They're about to break his legs and his life is over. And all he could say is, get off the cross and take me down with you. I don't want to be up here. But the other man said, have you no respect for this man? We did wrong, but he didn't do anything wrong. And somehow their eyes met. And that thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, Would you remember me? See, he had faith to believe that you would live after you die. And Jesus looked at him and said, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What happened? He simply exercised his faith in Christ the Son. 
and he received God's forgiveness. And God granted him the gift of eternal life. Maybe that's what you need. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. If you're here today and you feel like I'm talking directly to you, all I am is a voice. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through me to you, telling you that God loves you, telling you that God wants you to come home, telling you that God wants you to believe in Him, to receive the best life that He has for you. But you've got to make a step to Him in response to His gift. So I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, I want God's forgiveness today. I'm ready to begin to follow Christ. For some, it may be the first time you've ever made this step. It all came together in the message today. For others, you've believed in the past, but you got away from God, but you know you need to come back, and you want to do it this morning. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me now. I want to get right with God. Would you just lift your hand this morning real quickly? Do it quickly. We'll pray for you this morning. Say, pray for me, Pastor. God bless you, dear. I want to get my life right with God. Others, God bless you too in the back. God bless you too. Pray for me. God bless you, dear. God bless you. I need to get my life right with God. Others this morning. Say, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I need to get my life right with God this morning. You say, why are you doing this right now like this? Can't I just kind of do it where I am? Well, you could, but here's what Jesus said. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And I'm telling you, Christianity is not just lived on a Sunday morning. It's on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And if you want to make a step away from the life you've lived and step towards Christ, lift your hand. Let us pray for you this morning. Somebody else, say pray for thee this morning, Pastor. God bless you, lapel. God bless you. Others here today, say pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you. Come let us pray for you. Give them a big hand as they're coming. Bring your friend if you'd like. Come on, let us pray for you. You that lifted your hand, come let us pray. If you need to make a step to Christ, come let us pray for you this morning. God bless you. Give them a big hand as they're coming this morning. God bless you. God bless you, dear. God bless him. Give him a big hand this morning. God bless her, too, as she makes a step to Christ. Every step to God is always a right step. If you need to be with him, just come on down. Let somebody pray with you this morning. Let somebody pray with you as you make a step to Christ this morning. Praise the Lord. Listen, we're going to let the gang pray with you and talk to you just right over by the cross. Why don't you just slip right on over, and we're going to receive communion here. You're going to join us in just a second. Why don't you just be seated right now, and the ushers are going to pass the elements of communion. I want you to hold on to them. Everybody will receive them together. We'll sing a song or two, and then we'll go home. Just begin to worship the Lord, Pastor Nick. And if you still feel like you need to be up here praying and getting your life right with God, slip on up and let somebody pray. Two symbols of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. God's Son. It's a little piece of bread, about a quarter an inch. The reason it's small and crunchy, it's unleavened, which means it was made uh, without leaven, which is a picture of sin. It reminds us of the purity of the body of Christ. But today we also remember that it reminds us of an animal, perhaps a lamb, that covered Adam and Eve. It reminds us of a Passover lamb, an innocent lamb, that gave its life so death, so judgment could be averted. It reminds us of the literal death of Christ, prophesied by multiple people predicted hundreds of years before, lived out on the cross for us, atoning for our sins, offering forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption. Lord, we ask you to bless this bread this morning. Let a spirit of revelation come to us of the enormity of what you did and let it inspire us to live for you. God, we ask you to bless the bread now in Jesus' name. Let it be life and health to all. Amen. The same manner Jesus took the cup after supper. And Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, say it with me, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> Jesus is coming again, friends. This is not just some part. This is a warm-up for eternity. <laughs> this is not it. And we look for his return. This cup, the color of it reminds you of the color of blood. Life is in the blood. Life was in Jesus. Jesus gave his life for us. But Jesus also told us, just as you've been freely forgiven, you need to freely forgive other people. And I want to ask you very deliberately today to forgive the people that have hurt you. Now, that doesn't mean that you forget it just like that. Over time, you will. What forgiveness means is, God, I'm no longer going to judge them. No longer, Lord, am I going to stand in the place of judge and jury against them. I'm going to turn that over to you. So, Lord, today I do pray for all my friends today because I know this room is filled with people that have been offended, hurt, lied to, stolen from, passed by. But today we forgive every person, whether they did it on purpose or whether it was unconscious. We forgive those that have sinned against us, and we bless them today so our heart will be clean. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless this cup, wash our sins away, and together we look forward to your second coming. Bless this cup in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord this morning. Come on, give him a hand if you're able. God is a good God, and we bless his holy name. Hey, we're going to close with one song, and then Pastor Michael dismiss, and we'll have an opportunity for prayer at the end if you need prayer. God bless you, and I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next weekend.